take your seats. So we're almost done with our series on um, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, today we're up to uh, Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Before I read that text, let me pray, and uh, we'll jump in this morning. <clears throat> Fathers, we, we come to you today. It's good before we read your word uh, to uh, be reminded that uh, our status, our standing, uh, depends on you and upon your grace. I pray that you would uh, bless us with a sense of joy in that today. But also, Lord, I pray that you would keep us uh, from a focus upon ourselves, uh, an undue focus upon our performance, either the performance that would puff us up with pride or uh, discourage us to despair of your love for us. And so would you help us today, we pray in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So you hear that text and you think, wow, that's a tough one. That's, uh, you know, final judgment stuff there. And uh, don't like that. Uh, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a little little, uh, disconcerting. There's actually great news in this text today. Really good news. Um, but I think the, the, the good news, we have to uh, understand, and we have to come to grips with the way the good news comes to us, uh, because good news is only good news if you think it's good news, right? One of the things that we do here, one of the things we do with everyone who joins the church, and if you're a member of the church, you, you did this at some time or another, we now fill out an application, and there's two questions on that application. Are you certain, God forbid, if you were to die, you would go to heaven? That's a great question. Why is that? Not because it asks you to be prideful in your answer, but it gives the elders, gives us a sense of your sense of assurance of the love of God. But it also, there's a second question that's connected to that, that says, if you were to die and stand before God, stand before Jesus, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? Now, these are, you know, old questions that have been around the church for a long time. Uh, And one of the things that is, happens often, and this might have even happened to you, that when you got to that second question, you're sitting in front of some leaders in the church, some elders in the church, who are interviewing you uh, for membership in the church. And so typically when we get interviewed for a position, what do we do? We give our resume, right? Well, in my previous church, I did everything. Or, you know, I am... Uh, you know, this or that, or I've achieved this, or I've done that, or whatever, because you think, you know, it's important to impress uh, the leadership of the church with all of my accomplishments, so they'll let me in. 
right? That's a natural, normal kind of approach to things, right? I mean, that's, that's you know, in, in most things in life, when you go to interview, you know, you're rehearsed and practiced to try to give some sense of, here are my credentials. With the gospel, you have credentials, but they're credentials that are applied to you by someone else's performance. And so what we have here in this text is a group of people standing before Jesus at the last judgment, and as they are standing there before him, as, as if they are in a court, I mean, he does seem to be acting as a judge here, as, as, as they stand there in the court, they're thrown back upon themselves. They're thrown back upon their performance. They're thrown back upon their spiritual experiences. Uh, and that is the thing that they're, they're counting on. That is the thing that they're centered on. That is the thing that has uh, captivated them and captivated their attention. And so the, the great news in this today is there's a simple fix for that. Uh, simple, uh, but also uh, humbling. And we'll get to that in uh, just a minute. But you can go ahead and put my notes up there, Michael. So a, a couple of things to note about this. Now, remember, this is, this, this is happening in Matthew chapter 7, right? At, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, but very early in Jesus' ministry. And just imagine if you're a first century, century Jewish person and you're there and you've followed this rabbi a little bit and you think he's a kind of an interesting guy to, to, to hear and to... Uh, uh, you, you like the things that he's saying, you, you like his preaching, you've heard that he's done some miracles, you're intrigued by this, and then you hear him basically at the end of the sermon say to everybody who's gathered there, I'm God, I'm the judge, right? Because that's what Jesus is doing, and, and we're so used to thinking of Jesus as Lord, we're so used to thinking of him, uh, of, uh, thinking of him as God that it doesn't strike us as odd or uh, as some people would say, egocentric, that our destiny depends upon his judgment. Because look at what he says here, right? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many, my, many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. Right? So Jesus is claiming to himself very early on in his ministry. There's no doubt about it. You know, people who want to say that Jesus had no self-awareness of who he was or where... What, what, uh, of, of his relationship within the Trinity or the fact that he was going to be the judge of all mankind, he's making a pretty clear case for it right here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So just imagine you're sitting there and suddenly you, you, you're confronted with this man who's sitting there on the mountain teaching away, and as the, you know, they marvel at the end of his um, Sermon that he taught with authority. Oh, yeah, he taught with authority. It's quite an authority to say, and oh, by the way, you'll see me again in glory when I judge you. Right? It's a pretty bold statement. 
Um, and if, if he's not who he says he is, if he's not really that person, then, then you know, wow, he's a nut job, right? I mean, there's, there's no sense, no reality at all that you should pay him any more mind at all. But if he is the judge, if he is who he says he is, then our eternal destiny, our very lives depend on us knowing who he is and being known by him, Right? And so this, this word here of, of focusing the, their attention, our attention upon him, who he is, what it is he is doing, what it is he is teaching as the standard, as the reality of, of what life is all about, what eternity is all about, uh, is a word of grace. Uh, it's a word of mercy to us so that it clarifies for us who it is who is our judge and as he's going to make clear here in this statement, on what basis does he judge us, right? Uh, and so that's a, that's, a great, uh, that's, a, that's a great thing for us uh, to come to grips with. You know, it's, it's funny if you've ever had a ticket or been in trouble with the law, and you go to the courtroom for your hearing, you know, they have this thing up there in the lobby of the courtroom with what courtroom you go to and who the judge is, Right? And so you, you, you want a good, you want a, you want a nice judge. You want a judge who had a great breakfast and uh, had a great time with his family before he got there, didn't have any problems with traffic, and uh, everything is coming up roses for him in the hopes that when he judges you in the courtroom, that he's going to be kind and gentle and merciful and gracious and just. What Jesus is doing here is saying, listen, he's revealing to us the reality of our destiny, that every one of us at some point will stand before him and, as the scriptures tell us, give an account. And so what we have here is people standing in front of Jesus and giving their account. Next slide. So let's look at the focus of appeal that these folks are making here. They call him Lord, right? Uh, they uh, uh, have called him Lord to others. That's what it means when they prophesy in his name. They've been very outspoken uh, in the way in which they talk about Jesus. People who are around them, who would know them, would know that, uh, that they talk a lot about religion, that they talk a lot about uh, uh, the nature of the Bible. Uh, they've called him Lord to others. Uh, they've said, you know, that, 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 that Jesus is, is, uh, is Lord. And in, on top of that, they have an impressive record of spiritual experience. I mean, look, uh, they prophesied, they cast out demons, and they did miracles. When was the last time you did a miracle? Now, I'm not talking about taking the trash out with being re without being reminded. <laughs> right? When was the last time you cast out a demon? Right? So, so and, and, and the interesting thing about it is Jesus doesn't say, oh, you didn't do a miracle, or no, you didn't cast out a demon, or no, you didn't prophesy my name. That, he, he doesn't argue with them about the things that they've done. They, they have an impressive record. A record that if any one of us were to 
stand in front of a congregation or stand in front of other people and we could see that, wow, the, the, the words of Jesus roll right off their lips and, you know, they've healed people or uh, they've performed these things that are kind of otherworldly and that sort of thing. And, they, and we've actually seen them suppress and oppress the oppressive demons themselves. We would think, wow, that's, that's impressive splashy, would get a lot of attention, would draw us to believe and to think, well, because of their experience and because of their performance, they're on a spiritual level somewhere above us and that somehow or other, you know, they're worthy of our respect, worthy of our following them. Right? But here's the problem. And this is the thing, this gets at the very heart of the issue and the very nub of what's going on here. They're standing in front of Jesus, the judge. They're standing in front of the only righteous one. They're standing in front of the one who walked this earth, lived in the flesh like we do, and yet did, did um, battle directly in temptation with Satan and overcame. Obeyed to the point of death. Loved his own to the end. Never flagged in his devotion to his father or his devotion to his followers. Perfect obedience. And so what they're doing is as they're standing in front of him, they're missing who it is that they're talking to, right? Now it's interesting, to, as kind of as a sidelight to this, if you look in the Bible and you see times and places where people see God for who he is in his glory, and I would imagine Jesus in judgment is pretty glorious, right? Uh, I watched uh, uh, yesterday uh, Pastor Joe Brown, now Dr. Joe Brown, one of those doctors, what can't do you no good, as we say back home, uh, received his, uh, his uh, doctor of ministry yesterday at Bethel Seminary. And I, this morning I got up and I thought, I bet that thing's on the line. And so I scrolled through the, uh, the live stream of it. And got to see Joseph Edward Brown get his hood put on him. And they put it on him wrong the first time. And they had to take it off and redo it. And, um, uh, but he's in a robe. And he looks impressive. And so I told him, I'm like, you know, the next time you preach, you need to wear that. With the hood and the funny little hat, all of that stuff. That, that's, that's awesome, right? So, so the fact is... Jesus, when he appears to people in his glory, people are undone. Remember Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when the king is dead and he goes into the temple to pray and he sees God high and exalted and lifted up and he sees the seraphim and the, the foundations are shaking and there's smoke rising. And what's he, what does he do? He's undone. He says, oh God, I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Not a lot of resume giving, credential giving in that sense, right? The disciples are with Jesus in the boat and he's asleep and the waters come and the winds blow and the storm is raging and they're like, oh my goodness, we're going to die. This is terrible. Get up. Don't you care? And Jesus gets up and says, hush to the water and the waves. And immediately, immediately, the lake goes flat. 
the wind stops blowing. And he turns and he looks at them and says, what is wrong with you? Where's your faith? And it says they're terrified. They're more afraid now of this dude who's in the boat with them than they were of the winds and the waves. Jesus shows up kind of unannounced in many ways to his disciples after his resurrection. And the first word out of his mouth to them is peace. Because it says they're distraught and afraid and, and confused. Because here he is, the living Lord right before them. And John, the beloved apostle, the, the closest thing that Jesus had to a, a, a friend in his life, sees Jesus at Patmos and he falls down before him and Jesus has to tell him, don't be afraid. Because you see, that's, the, that's really getting at it and indicating to us the problem that these folks have as they stand before Jesus in his glory. They're not captivated by his glory. They're not, they're not reverently afraid in any way as they should be by the holiness and the exalted nature of Jesus. They're, they're sitting there and all they can think about is themselves. And I, you know, honestly, I have some sympathy for that. Because to con contemplate the one who is standing there looking you in the eyes, holding you to account, talking to you about your life and your performance would be so disorienting, you might babble just about anything, right? <laughs> like, here, I got this. <laughs> here, here, look, look at this. Look at this little thing that I did for you, right? Right? But no, their focus and their attention is in the moment, the crux of the moment is upon what they've accomplished, the great things that they did. So that gives us an indicator of the problem here, right? And it gives us an indicator of the fact that when Jesus says to them that he never knew them, the, the, the reality is they're, they're, they, they're people that have remained unchanged uh, by the gospel in the sense that it might have made sense to them. It might have looked to them as a good worldview. It might have looked to them as a good way to, to be married, a good way to think about uh, your uh, life as uh, uh, an employee or an employer. It might have had some good values. It might have had uh, any number of those things. But what he is getting at here is a, a deep sense that who we are is determined by who knows us more than our achievements. And not only more than our achievements, but our failures too. Right? Next slide. So what we have to see here is, is that Jesus is getting at is, is that the basis of judgment is relationship. Right? Uh, but it's a particular kind of relationship. It's not the kind of relationship that uh, is confronted with grace, is confronted with the cross, is confronted with the deep, abiding, powerful mercy of God, and that leaves us unchanged. That leaves us uh, thinking that, you know, this, this gospel is so good, this gospel of grace is so rich and so free that somehow or other it misses changing us. It misses softening us. It misses 
uh, our, uh, just, it just misses the core of who we are, right? Now, here's the thing, you know, what, what, we, what this relationship of faith and obedience is to be marked by growing conformity to the will of God. And that's what we pray, right, in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus has already said that earlier in the sermon. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the way we tend to think about that often is your will be done. That means those people out there need to start getting it right. You know, the people in the government, the Supreme Court, the governor, the president, uh, the mayor, my, you know, th- those kinds of people, they need to get it right so that the will of God would be done on earth as it is in heaven. But the reality of that prayer is, is that, Lord, your will would be done in my life and that I would be a willing participant in your will being done in my life. That I would be someone who is because of the grace that you have shown me, not because I'm going to earn it back, not because even it's just simply out of gratitude, but I am so overwhelmed by the reality of your love for me that your love demands a response, that your love demands all of me, that that, that the grace, the mercy, the reality of the sacrifice for Christ, of Christ for us completely reorients the way we think about our lives, our performance, our money, our sex lives, our, our, uh, uh, um, our relationships with our friends and our family. It totally turns us around and reorients us. Now, it doesn't do that perfectly, and it never will do that perfectly. But what happens to this person is they're so captivated by the grace of God, they see Jesus for, for who he is and for what he has done, and it's a growing vision of that. You don't see him fully. You don't come to, to, to grips with him fully the, the first time you believe in him. But it is so captivating that it becomes the center of your life. Next slide. So what we have to see here is, is that true faith and obedience in the Savior draws attention away from ourself to him. And that's so hard for us because the, our, myself, ourselves, is the center of things for most of us, right? We think of ourselves as autonomous, independent people with a few emotional entanglements along the way. But in reality, the people that Jesus is receiving into his kingdom are people who know that without him, they have no life. Without him, life would be meaningless and really just turned in upon themselves. And their focus, the heart of their lives, is about someone else and not themselves. I know I've talked a lot lately about humility, and, 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 uh, but I think that's a real issue for these people here and that are standing before Jesus. Because anytime you are basing your uh, acceptance before God upon your performance... Or anytime you are despairing of your standing before God because of your performance alone, then the fact is pride has taken root in you because your focus is upon yourself, right? Uh, Augustine said this, humility must accompany all our actions, must be with us everywhere. For as soon as we glory in our good works, they are of no further value to our advancement in virtue. In other words, it's not that we don't delight in doing what God does. Uh, tells us to do, but the delight there is simply delight. It is not there with an edge where we're saying, hey, look at this, 
pay attention, God. Uh, uh, you should accept me based on this good thing that I did, right? Our confession of faith says this, the principal acts of saving faith are accepting, receiving, and resting upon Christ alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. Now, this faith is different in degrees, weak or strong, may be often in many ways assailed and weakened, but gets the victory growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ who is both the author and finisher of our faith. Now, who's at the center of that? It's not you. It's not me. Right? The the center of that is that when we stand before Jesus, our plea is, it's you, Lord. You did this. Not only did he do this, not only does he achieve our salvation by his life, death, and resurrection, But he even achieves faith in us by giving us eyes and ears to hear and hearts to believe. And so so that foundation is the thing that leads us then into a life of growing conformity more and more to his image, right? Um, So what what the, the, the difference at the judgment is what's at the center? Is it you and your performance or is it Jesus? That's the issue. Now, next slide. Let me, let, me, let me be clear here about something, right? So there are two kinds of people, typically, as, as we've noticed at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. There's the, the two ways, the two gates. Uh, <clears throat> there's the, going to be the two builders, uh, the two trees, all of those things, right? So what Jesus is doing here is he's setting up before us these uh, comparisons and uh, these uh, contrasts. Some of you here this morning hear this word from Jesus and it causes you to despair because you think all you can think about this morning is your sin. All you can think about is your shortcomings, your failures. That's all you can, you know, and you think how in the world will I ever gain any kind of traction in my life, and much greater, how will I ever gain any kind of standing before God? My life is such a mess. I was thinking that this morning as we sang Amazing Grace before I got up here, and I was praying, as I always do, before I come up here, and I'm like, oh God, I am such a mess. Will you help me? I, I pray that every Sunday, Every single Sunday. Sometimes it's worse. I don't, I don't use the word mess. I, I use other <laughs> words, right? And so, um, and so the, 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 the fact is for us, as we, as, as we begin to unpack that and begin to think about this, there's a kind of person who looks at themselves and never, and, and, and even as they're looking at themselves, they become so despairing and so undone by their sin, that they can't see the glory of the cross. There's another kind of person that takes the cross for granted. So McShane, uh, the, the Scottish pastor, says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He says, learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely, 
such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace and all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God, bask in his beams, feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and repose in his almighty arms. And so you stop there and you think, well, that seems like a blank check. But he goes on to say, let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart so that there will be no room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh, right? So what Jesus is getting at here as he tells us that he's the judge is he's not standing apart from us or he's telling us to do better, to try harder. That's not what he's getting at. He's also not telling us that uh, our response to the gospel doesn't matter. He's not telling us that either. What he's telling us is, is that our lives, that our very selves depend on him, depend on his work, depend on his cross, his resurrection, and let that be the thing that is so captivating to us because when we are truly captivated, as McShane says here about the smiles of God basking in his beams, uh, let our heart be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him, that fills us and not ourselves. One time I was uh, early on in the life of this church uh, when we had just started, uh, my bosses from uh, our denomination insisted that I go to a, uh, a pastor's conference up in New Jersey, and I, I went by myself. I went up there, drove all the way up there, and, and they had set up an appointment for to, me to meet with another pastor who was... Uh, I don't know. He was supposed to mentor me. It didn't work. But, um, <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why it didn't work is because uh, he took me to lunch and we were talking and he was asking me all these questions about numbers and uh, asking me questions about all, all sorts of things. And, uh, and he gave me a list of about 20 things to do that I wasn't doing or that I wasn't doing right. And uh, I, I looked at him, you know, as a 31-year-old know-nothing, and I said, well, okay, I feel like that if I do these things, I'll be doing them in my own strength. And I won't be trusting God in this. I'll be trusting this method. And he said to me, you know, people talk to me sometimes about Am I doing this in my own strength or am I doing this in Jesus' strength? He says, it doesn't matter. Just do it. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I, that was a long ride home from New Jersey in my car thinking, God Almighty, what have I gotten myself into? What, it, what, <laughs> what, how is this ever going to work? Listen. Throw yourself on Jesus this morning, not yourself. If in the chain of your redemption, 
in the final analysis, your admittance to the kingdom of God is thrown back on you and your performance. You are the weakest link. And that chain will break. Trust him. Friends, hear these words of institution, uh, the Lord's Supper. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's use this confession of sin. It's in the bulletin, also up on uh, the, scre- the screens behind me. Would you, would you pray with me? Father of glory, our hearts cannot be hidden from your sight. Our blind self-pity, self-serving, and self-justifying are laid bare before your eyes. Have mercy upon us, most merciful God. Grant us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ, so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which Jesus called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 